Welcome. Today we're going to discuss the ABCs of H-1B. Getting back to the basics of the H-1B visa program. Okay, so what is an H-1B? An H-1B is a non-immigrant visa classification which allows a foreign worker to come into the U.S. and work in a specialty occupation. The time of stay is usually maximum of three years at one time, and it can be extended up to a total maximum of six years, which means three plus three usually. If the person is previously held like an L1A or an L1B status, then all of that time is counted and added together to allow the person only a total of six years for H-1B. The exception to the H-1B six-year is available in some circumstances where a person has already filed the green card case, either a labor certification or I-140, either 365 days before or the I-140 petition is approved. So that's a very broad overview of the H-1 program. Now, we use the word specialty occupation. What is a specialty occupation? The term specialty occupation for an H-1B means an occupation that requires theoretical and practical application of a body of highly specialized knowledge to fully perform the occupation and which requires the attainment of a bachelor's degree or higher in a specific specialty which should be the minimum to enter the occupation in the United States. In other words, the position must require a bachelor's degree or higher. The mere fact that the person has the bachelor's degree does not make it sufficient or it is not automatically then considered a specialty occupation. Also, if the position requires a bachelor's in any field, then it is not a specialty occupation. So, for example, to be an English teacher, you need a bachelor's in English. To be an IT pro pro programmer, you need a bachelor's in IT or computer or engineering, and we can show that how it relates to the tasks on hand. So, who qualifies for a specialty occupation? Generally, the person is required, as we just said, is required to have a bachelor's degree and the required education at the time that the case is filed. So if a person is studying in the U.S. and is about to finish the degree, you can't file it several months before the degree. You should have actually completed the degree or be at the point of completing the degree. If they have extensive experience in the field, it could count, but generally there's a three years work experience for one year formula, but the USCIS and the consular officials are not very happy to base it purely on experience. They like the educational requirements. Also, in general, a full state licensure is often required in positions or professions that require it, like a school teacher or a medical professional, sometimes a professional engineer. And if such a license is required, then um, the person must have that license in order to practice the profession. Who can qualify as an H-1 employer? Well. The H-1 petitioner or employer is required to be a U.S. employer, and the employer is defined as an entity that engages a person to work in the U.S. and, second, has an employer-employee relationship 
in that it can hire or fire, pay, supervise, or otherwise control the work and has an internal IRS tax ID number. It includes a partnership or a sole proprietor. If those of us that can rec recollect the January 8, 2010 USCIS memo, there was a huge focus on the employer-employee relationship, so the employer must show that the employer has control over the work of the H-1B employee. Next question, is there a wage requirement for H-1s? Yes. The H-1B employer must pay the greater of the prevailing wage or the actual wage to the employee. What is the prevailing wage? The prevailing wage is specific to the position and the local area in which the job is to be performed. It can be determined under the guidelines from the U.S. Department of Labor. Also, it is possible to have the Department of Labor issue a prevailing wage determination or if there's a reputable and published survey that would meet the Labor Department requirements, we can use that instead. What is an actual wage? The actual wage is the wage that is paid by that employer to all of the other employees at that work location who have similar experience and qualifications for that particular position. Okay, so we've described the employer, the specialty occupation, and um, the wage. But what is an LCA? Because we all know that an H-1 petition must be filed with an LCA. An LCA is something that is filed with the Department of Labor. It stands for Labor Condition Application. This should not be confused with a labor certification, which is filed with a perm for the green card. An H-1B LCA is what is required to show to the Department of Labor that the foreign worker will not adversely affect wages or working conditions of U.S. workers, will be paid the prevailing wage, the higher of the prevailing wage or the actual wage. The LCA with an H-1B can be filed electronically. It is certified electronically, and it must be filed along with the H-1B petition, not like years ago where they gave us time to file it later on. The U.S. Department of Labor also requires an H-1 employer to keep an updated public access file on every single H-1B employee. This public access file must include certain documents as required by the law and Department of Labor regulations. Before the certifying the LCA, the employer must provide notice of the information on the LCA to the relevant collective bargaining unit, the trade union, or if the job is unionized, or um, if the job is unionized, and if they're not, the employer is required to post the information at a work site to enable other employees to review it. Often people are asked, can an H-1B be part-time? And the answer is yes, it can be part-time, an employer can uh, file it for anywhere from any number of hours up to 10, 20, 30, 40, even five hours a week, and an employee can work with multiple H-1 employers on several part-time jobs. What's an H-1B cap? The H-1B cap is an annual limit on the number of new H-1 workers. This cap is set at 65,000 in each fiscal year. USCIS fiscal year starts on October 1 each year and gets over September 30th. There's an extra 20,000 H-1Bs for, for those who have completed a U.S master's degree from a U.S. institution of higher education. 
Of course, certain employers are exempt from the cap or the numerical limitation, and these include nonprofit organizations, universities, nonprofit research organization, or a government research organization. So that's a broad overview of the H-1B program. We can get into specific issues dealing with H-1s for IT consulting companies, a huge debate that's been going on. There are problems with the benching rule, where an employee cannot be benched. There are departure penalties that are prohibited, and the right to control, which has become a huge deal with companies in the IT or consulting fields. Since we try to stay with a 10-minute limit in these overviews and ABCs in the podcast, we can describe this very, very briefly in the next minute or minute and a half. The USCIS requires that all work sites for an H-1B duration be identified at the time of filing. So in the IT consulting company, it's very common to have clients and work sites, so it's very often impossible, if not very difficult, for the employer to point out every work location that the H-1 employee who is a consultant will work for the entire three years. If they cannot show it, then the LCA is no longer valid. Similarly, the employer has to pay the full prevailing wage salary even when the employee is benched or not working on an active project. One last rule that we want to say is that if the employer terminates the H-1 employee before the three years and sends the employee back, the employee has to be paid the reasonable cost of the return transportation home. The right to control, which I referred to earlier in the January 8th memo, is becoming a big deal and resulting in a lot of H-1B petition denials. So you want to, as an employer, keep that in mind. Thank you so much in this broad overview. We are delighted and honored that you can participate, and we look forward to sharing many other valuable and useful topics with you at the Murthy Law Firm. From Sheila Murthy and all of us, we thank you.